morning, everyone. So good to see each and every one of you this morning. Listen, if you are visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that you are a special guest and that we are very thankful that you have chosen to come our way this morning and share these moments of worshiping together with one another, together around the Lord's table, and to remember all that Jesus Christ has has done for us. So we're glad that you're here. We're glad for those of you who are online with us. We miss your presence, but we're happy that you're here with us in, in spirit. And so we're just good, it's just good to be here. Isn't God a, an amazing God and how he blesses us with so many things? I was thinking about it this morning as I was uh, laying in bed and just thinking about the day ahead. I was thinking, man, we're, here we are in a weather that's around like 15 or 20, de, uh, 20 de degrees uh, cold, you know, and here we are in our warm houses. And we get for, go from a warm house to a nice car that takes us over a pretty good good size distance and then we get to a church building it's cold outside and we come in here and it's it's so warm and comfy that some of you may be tempted to go to sleep here in a little bit but it's i mean god is just such a blessing he he, he works in our lives in so many incredible and wonderful ways and we just give him praise because of that let me remind you of some things that are coming up here directly as our wednesday night suppers um this month uh, on february the 8th we'll have our supper but we need someone to sign up to host it in fact there's a whole list of of dates for our Wednesday night suppers. That's a, a great time of fellowshipping together with one another and inviting our friends and our neighbors to uh, participate with us. And so we need hosts for that. And so you might uh, seriously think about signing up to host those meals. It's not real hard uh, to do. It's fairly easy to do. And you can talk to uh, Lori about that and she can give you some heads up for it. Let me also remind you that in connection with our Wednesday night suppers is that we also are going to have a, a diaper bank that we're offering to uh, moms in our community to help them out a, a little bit. And so the second and fourth Wednesday, a night of each month, we're going to be helping these ladies out. And so uh, if you would like to be a part of, of that, you might talk to uh, Stacy uh, Campbell or uh, Linda BK, and they can kind of give you an idea of how you might be more involved in the, uh, the diaper bank that we're offering to our uh, community. Let me remind the men of a Treasure Valley Men's Rally on March the uh, 24th through the 25th. Uh, Chris McCurley is going to be the speaker of that time. And so let me encourage you uh, to not only be here yourself, but invite a friend. We're going to do it right here at the building. It'll be a great rally for the men to partake of. And then finally is uh, February the 4th. Next Saturday morning at 830, we're going to have a congregational uh, prayer time together with one, everyone. And so I'd like to encourage you to be here for that prayer time. There's a lot of things to pray for, not only within our congregation, but outside the congregation for our missionaries and uh, for those who are struggling for just the world itself. And so let me encourage you to be here 830 next Saturday morning, and we'll spend some time in praying together with one another. Okay, so that's uh, enough of those announcements. Maybe you have watched the news last week, and as you're watching the news, you may became aware that the uh, scientists have revealed to us that the doomsday clock has moved forward from 100 seconds to midnight, now to 90 seconds before midnight. Now, you might be thinking, well, what exactly is the doomsday clock? Well, the doomsday clock is a symbolic uh, design created in 1947 by the Bulletin of Atomic uh, Scientists. And, and their whole idea was to let us know how close we are to destroying the world that is around us by dangerous technologies and of, of our own making. And so the doomsday clock went from 100 seconds to 90 seconds and then the end. Kind of scary stuff when you think uh, about it. But the, today's doomsday clock is a little bit different. See, back in 1947 was the first year of the Cold War. 
The Cold War lasted from 1947 to around 1981 when you remember President Reagan said to Gorbachev, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, and they tore down the uh, Berlin Wall. And that supposedly was the end of the Cold War, and we were friends now with the Soviet Union or uh, Russia. But as time has gone on, here we are in 2023, and we're starting to feel that same kind of feeling of a Cold War uh, once again, where nuclear war kind of hangs over our heads, at least to some degree. Well, that's what was going on back in 1947 and continued on is that the nuclear war was threatening with a point that, you know, either Russia is going to push the button or we might push the button or accidentally a button gets pushed and you have a thermonuclear war that completely would devastate the globe. Well, that's really what that thing was about. But as time has gone on, the, the doomsday clock and the things that make it up has evolved. And today, it's much more than just what they are thinking about in terms of a nuclear war. What they're now talking about are, are other things. They're talking about, you know, a climate change. They're, they're talking about pandemics. They're talking about all the things that now are out there that threaten us. Rachel Bronson, who is the CEO for the Bulletin, for the atomic scientists, she said this about her colleagues. They said, what we are conveying with the clock uh, move is things are not going in the right direction. And they haven't been going in the right direction for a good while. And so they've moved it from 100 seconds now to 90 seconds. And it almost looks like it's almost straight up now, right? So when will that happen? When will this clock reach midnight? And what the CEO said is that, well, when the clock is at midnight, that means there's been some sort of nuclear exchange or a catastrophic climate change that has wiped out humanity. What she's saying is, is that when, when the clock strikes 12, you're not going to know it. That things have got so bad that in an instant, it's over with and humanity no longer exists. I mean, that's really a gloom and doom stuff, isn't it? I mean, that's scary stuff when you, you think about that. But it's not anything that's new. I mean, there have been those who have doomsday clocks forever and a day. A nuclear apocalypse, climate change, pandemics, famine, World War III, cyber warfare, overpopulation. It's just always there. If you were to go back to some of the, the greatest experts of all time, it might be this person right here. And he's been screaming for years, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, we got to do something about all of this. But I just want you to know this, that throughout human history, uh, there's always been the threat of doom. There's always been a doomsday clock that is there. Maybe it's not as close as we think it is today, but for those living in times past, it was close. If you were living in the days when the Egyptians were in, in power and police are in and the Ptolemies were in, in, in power and they were moving across the land and they were decided to siege your town, you'd have thought the world was coming to an end. And after them came the Assyrians and after the Assyrians came the, the Babylonians and after the Babylonians would come the, the, the Medes and, and the Persians and after them came Greek as they went, as the Greeks surrounded the entire known world, taking city after city, land after land. Or the Romans themselves, if you had been a Jew, a, a Jew in, the, uh, in 70 AD and as Titus Vespasian surrounded the city and laid siege to it, you would have thought the world was coming to an end. And it didn't stop there. 
It didn't stop there. Eventually you would have uh, Muslims that would take control of the uh, Middle East. Eventually you'll have Spain come into as a world power and then you'll have England as a world power and France as a world power as they vie against one another. And that was clear back in the, what, the 14th, 15th, and 16th uh, centuries. And you move forward from that to the world to end uh, war, to end all world wars in the First World War, and then the Second World War. And if you've been living in Dresden or Berlin or, or Tokyo, or if you've been living in London during the Blitz, you would have swore after the firebombing that went there where they reduced cities completely to rubble, you would have thought living then, the world is coming to an end. And if you were living back in the early 90s, when Iraq was shooting Scud missiles over from Iraq over into Israel, you may have thought the world was coming to an end. How Lindsay, late great planet Earth, he was sitting on top of a roof. Remember watching him on TV and he's watching Scuds go across and he says, anytime now the Lord's coming. It's going to be any time. That was like 40 years, 30 years ago now. And still no Jesus showing up on the scene for that particular thing. And now you have Russia that has invaded the Ukraine. And now they're talking about pushing buttons again. And so now we're at that, that kind of that doomsday thing. So what I'm saying to you is this, is that it's really nothing new. There's a lot of doomsday that has been out there for a lot of years. Prognosticators of dooms generally find their rise of their voice when times become hopeless feeling. And fear begins to escalate. And you begin to talk about nuclear war. You begin to talk about climate change. You begin to talk about pandemics. You begin to talk about just the things that you're struggling with in your own lives. That causes you to ask this question, where is God in all this? Does God understand? Does God understand what I am I'm going through? Does he know what it's like to be a human being, always trying to think, to speak, and to act spiritual in every situation, to try to stay calm in every situation, to try to stay at peace, to enjoy life in every single way? Does he know how we as human beings are when it comes to our future, that we're fearful of the future, you know, the, the doomsday clock stuff? You know, where is God in all of this? Does he understand? Well, the answer to that is, is yes, he does. God is very aware of what's going on in this planet. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16 says that Jesus is the one who sustains and upholds all things. Nothing happens that God doesn't even know is going to happen, causes it to happen, or allows to happen. What am I saying? I'm saying God is in control of everything. God has got this, and he understands and that's why I put before you Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verses 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. God is aware. And it becomes an ever-present reality. But none of that matters None of that matters unless you, unless you know Jesus, unless you know him in a very personal kind of way. And that's why it falls well within our year's theme of knowing Jesus in a better kind of, of way. To help you to do this, I want to look at one of his names that I think that gives us a tremendous amount, in my mind, of comfort. Look at John, the first chapter. John chapter 1. And I want you to notice what he says, verses 1 down through 3, and then we're going to camp a little bit on verse 9. But here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now skip down to verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Do you see that? There's a true light. He says, it's coming into the world. So who is he talking about? Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course, we know from last week's lesson that this is talking about Jesus Christ. That Jesus was pre-existent, and now he's come into our world, and he, now he has dwelt among us. So keeping that thought in mind, turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 1 now. Matthew chapter 1. And I want to begin reading in verse 18, and I want you to listen to this. This is familiar to you, okay? But just listen to it, and, and especially as we get down to verse 23. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God uh, with us. Now I want you to think a little bit what's going on here, because what stands out here to me is the name Emmanuel. That God is going to send his son in the world, and he's going to do several things. Number one is he's going to deliver his people from sin or save them. And he's going to be promising to be one who is an ever-present reality. And that's why not only is his name called Jesus, but his name is also called Emmanuel, which he says means God with us. So here's what I want to do this morning. I think the reason why this name Emmanuel uh, is given to us is because of how it significantly impacts our life on a daily basis especially when you talk about doomsday clocks so the lesson is called emmanuel and the doomsday clock so how does that fit in as we think about who he is and what he is about well the first time that the name emmanuel is mentioned is over in isaiah the seventh chapter verses one through fourteen now, in Isaiah the seventh chapter, verses 1 through 14, in verse 22 that we just read, he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet. That prophet is Isaiah. So let me give you a little bit of background behind what's going on here, because in that day, there was a doomsday clock, if you will. In that day, Ahaz was the king of, of Judah. And two kings to the north of him, the northern tribe of Israel, up into Assyria, they have colluded together with one another, and they have said to each other, let's gather our forces together, and let's go down to Judah, and let's terrorize them. Let's terrorize them, let's breach the, the walls of the city, and let's put our own man in there. Ahaz, the king, he gets wind of this, and when he gets wind of this, he begins to shake in his boot. He becomes extremely fearful in, inside. Because these guys are coming up against him. And so what's going on here is Ahaz, he has his own doomsday clock. And he's fearful because of the enemies that were surrounding him. So God sends Isaiah. 
And as he sends Isaiah, Isaiah comes to uh, Ahaz and he says to him, do not fear the northern tribe. Don't fear Syria. Don't fear these men because they are nothing more than smoldering firebrands. They're nothing more than a smoldering stump. They have no power. They have no strength. I'll be with you. Don't be fearful of them. And don't become faint-hearted, he tells you in that section of Scripture. Ahaz hears this from Isaiah, but it doesn't impact him. And the reason is because Ahaz is a man who has walked away from the Lord. He, he's a sinful man. I mean, he's a bad guy in, in reality. But nevertheless, God says to him, listen, I will uphold Judah. Simply entrust yourself to me, and I'll take care of these two individuals. I'll take care of the north all the way. They're just smoldering. They can't do anything to you. But Ahaz refuses to listen. So what Ahaz does to do is he wants to make an alliance. So he makes alliance with the kingdom of Assyria, who is a world power of that day, which is crazy because Assyria is, they, these, this, these people are fraught with brutality. They're terrible as a nation. They conquer nations and after they conquer a, a city, they would take a city and they would cut the heads off of the citizens there and they would pile them 10, 12 feet deep in front of their gates just to show them how powerful and how they can really take things into their hands to anyone that chooses, chooses to resist them. That's what's going to happen to them. And that's the guy that Ahaz makes an alliance with. And God says, you're making a bad mistake here. So he sends Isaiah back to him. He says, don't. Don't do this. Listen, ask for a sign for me to prove to you that I will be with you, that I'll be a present reality to you, and that those two kings of the north can't do anything to you. He says, ask me a sign. Ask the sign that goes up as high as heaven or as low down as hell itself or the grave itself and see if I won't answer you. And Ahaz says, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Doomsday clocks. Doomsday clocks represent all the things that we are afraid of. For us, it would be nuclear war, climate change, borders, pandemics, whatever you want to put there, those are the things that we become fearful of in life. So what do we do in life? Ahaz turns to a rotten king. What do we do? Well, many entrust themselves to scientists. They're going to fix this stuff. Or maybe they'll entrust themselves to government. Maybe the government will fix this stuff. You've probably been reading about the shootings going across the land and the shootings in California. Do you know that California has more gun restrictions than almost any state? Do you know that Chicago has the most gun restrictions in any state? And yet they have all kinds of shootings here. It doesn't matter how many laws they put into place. They still should have shootings. What's the problem? When someone says it's guns, I will tell you what it is. It's not guns. It's people's hearts are void of something. What is it they're void of? They're void of any way of morally navigating through life because they've jettisoned God out of their lives. And when you jettison God out of your life, then you're going to be in for a, a terrible ride. You're going to be in for a society that morally collapses around itself. And you begin to see people do terrible, terrible, terrible things. Things have always been terrible. People have always done terrible things. But it seems like it just really has really gotten going here in the States. Maybe another place. You see, what I'm, all I'm saying to you is that in times of doomsday type things that people are shouting at us, we probably are entrusting ourselves to the wrong places and to the wrong people. In other words, where is God in the equation? What has God had to say about the things that are going on in, in this life? 
Well, Ahaz, back to him, you would think that he would have known better. He should have known Israel's history. He certainly didn't know the songs of faith. That should have changed the way he looked at the situation that he found himself in. For instance, Psalm 23 and verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy stuff, staff, they comfort me. You know that psalm very well. Or how about this one? God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We will trust God. And then there's all kinds of Hebrew history. I mean, Israel had a history. Ahab was a part of that history, and God, he knew, had always been with his people. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they, they wandered in a wilderness in a strange country. And yet God always took care of them and made them into a, a great nation. Joseph was sold by his brothers into captivity to, to Egypt. He finds himself in prison, but God is with him even in the midst of that doom there. And he rises second only to Pharaoh himself in power and authority. Or Moses, he runs for his life as a murderer out of Egypt, finds himself in Midian, he becomes a, a shepherd there and finds himself before a bush. And God says, I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to send you to deliver my people Israel from Egyptian bondage that they've been in for over 400 years. I don't know if I can do that. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with you all the way through it. Trust me. God was with Israel in Egypt. He was with them in the, in the wilderness. <clears throat> he was taking care of them, leaving them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He watched over his people. Their clothes didn't wear out. The thongs on their feet did not wear out. God was with them in every way. Joshua. Joshua says, go in and conquer the land. Only be courageous and be strong and put your trust in me. And he was able to do so. Samson. He went up against a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of an ass and took them out. Gideon, with 300 men, goes up against the Midianites on the Jezreel Plain. And he's able to defeat them. Midianite, who was, armies was as many as the sand of the seashore, or look into the sky, and there are as many as the stars in the sky. We're talking about a big army, and yet with 300 men, he routs them. David, David with a single stone takes out a weathered a combatant in Goliath, nine foot two inches or so, and takes him out with a single stone. Did these guys do that on their own? The answer is no. Why were they able to, be, to, to, to do incredible things? These in, just ordinary men who did extraordinary things, and the answer to that is, is God was with them. Ahaz should have known that, but he didn't. And he lines himself up. So God sends, since he won't listen, God sends a sign now, but it's not to Ahab, it's to Israel. And not just to Israel, but it's to all the inhabitants of the, the earth. A sign that would strengthen the millions. You say, okay, what is that, that sign? He's talking about people now, down through the ages, that are worried about doomsday clocks. And here's what he says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, some translations have young woman, will be with child and will give birth to a son and will be called Emmanuel. 
That's the sign that was given. 730 years later, when the angel was speaking to Joseph, says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think that probably a young woman is probably not the best translation. Why is it? Because young women have babies all the time. But virgins don't. And she's the only one that has a virgin birth being conceived of the Holy Spirit. So that will be a sign. And so Jesus comes on the scene as Emmanuel. And things change. And that's what I want to talk to you about for the remainder of our time. Jesus Emmanuel is God with us. So What's the significance of Emmanuel? In other words, what does it mean for you and me that Emmanuel has been born and that he lives today and is seated at the right hand of God? What's the significance of that for us? Well, I think, number one, it means salvation. Think about what Matthew 1 and verse 21, he said, his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But it doesn't just stop there. He, he is one who saves all people from their sins. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also for the Greek and to everyone who believes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The one thing we need in this world because of what we have done in our lives in terms of sin and separating ourselves from God is that God sent his son Jesus into the world. So what is the significance? The significance is that Jesus' presence says to us that we can be saved from our sins. We get a do-over. We get a second chance no matter how bad it may have been. That's what is promised to us. That's what Emmanuel means. It means that his presence is here and delivers us from sin and saves us. Here's the second thing. It means God will never leave or forsake or fail his people. It doesn't mean that he's going to take us out of nuclear wars. It doesn't mean that he's going to deal away with pandemics. It doesn't mean that he's going to change the climate. It doesn't mean any of those kinds of things. It doesn't mean that he's going to uh, cause you not to get cancer or that you're not going to have a heart attack or you'll never get in a traffic accident or you'll never lose a loved one or life will never go bumpy. It doesn't say that. What it does say is that God will be with us in the midst of all of that. And that he is one who has come so that God knows, or we know, that Jesus is an ever-present reality. Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, over in Matthew 28, chapter, and verse 19. Here's a great passage of Scripture. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. What is he he's saying? He's saying that God is going to be with you. Listen. Christians do get cancer. Christians do die of heart attacks. Christians find themselves in traffic accidents. Christians lose loved ones. Christians lose their jobs and go broke. There's a lot of things happen to us. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, we're not going to have bumps and that we're not going to go through trials in our lives. What it does and what this pastor is promising us and what Emmanuel promises us is that they will be with us even in the most difficulties of, of life. Here's the third thing. Emmanuel means we have no reason to fear. No reason to fear. Listen to what it says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Why not? For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I believe it's Romans, the eighth chapter, the eighth chapter in verse 31 says, Who will separate us from the love of God? 
And the answer to that, he says, as he goes down to a list of things, he says, nothing, nothing can separate us. Keep your eyes looking up. Keep your eyes on, on Jesus. I was reading about a little girl who's being put to bed at night. And as she's being put to bed at night, her mommy is having a prayer with her. And the little girl says, says to her mom after the prayer, she says, Mommy, I like you more than I like God. And her, her mother said to her, she says, Sweetheart, you mustn't say such things. Yes, I know, but I still love, I still like you uh, much better than I do God. Her mom's pretty wise. She doesn't try to address or, you know, change her theology. She just wants to know, what's her perspective? What does this little girl think? And she says, honey, why do you say that you like me better than God? And she says, because when I hug you, you hug me back. And that's what Jesus came into this world for. To put a, a different kind of feeling of what's going on. The little girl put humanity's universal desire to have contact with God in a very personal and tangible way in her words. As a, a spirit without a body is difficult, if not impossible, for us to, to grasp. But when someone real in flesh and bones, Jesus uh, became that same reality and experienced the same things that we experienced. That puts it on a completely different thing. As Emmanuel, Jesus has brought God within um, hugging distance so that we can know him in a very personal kind of, of way. I read another story about a man. He's a Christian man, and he's walking along. He's walking in a park. It's on a snowy day, and as he walks along in the park, he knows or notices it in front of him at a little bit of a distance are a bunch of sparrows. They're all over the ground. Someone had taken a handful of birdseed and cast them out onto the, the snow. You know, it's cold outside. They're trying to help the little birds survive, and so he sees that, and he's watching them for a while, and pretty soon he's looking at them, and he takes kind of a moderate step toward them. And he says, and the birds automatically become anxious. Uh, they quit pecking at the ground. Now their heads are up and they're looking around. And then he says, then I took another step. And now they're even much more anxious. And you see that they're almost ready to take to the wing and almost ready to fly. And he goes, and then I took one more step and they flew. All, the, all at once, they flew away. And he thought to himself, why do they, why do they fly away? He began to reflect on it. He says, I have no intentions of hurting them. They had to have known that. There's, I wasn't making anything aggressive move towards them. I couldn't hurt them. So why were they so afraid of me? And then he drew the conclusion, maybe it's because I'm so big. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm big. And because I am big, that frightens them. I mean, think of a little sparrow. A little sparrow maybe weighs a, a quarter of an ounce. And the man probably weighed anywhere from 190 to 210 10 pounds. That's big when you're a little bird. When you take steps to him, that's what happens. The only way he could have walked among those birds without scaring them would to have become a sparrow himself. Fly down uh, among them and share their existence. And isn't that the story of the Incarnation? God is big, so big. You wonder, why are you mindful of me? Why do you care about me? You're big. You have created everything. You own everything. Why would you care about me and my doomsday clocks? 
Why would you care about me and my loneliness? Why would you care about me and my pain or my sorrow or my hurt? Why would you care about any of that except he's Emmanuel? He's a God of love, and he cares us. He cares her so much that he came to be with us, to experience the same things that we do. And that's what connects us to him. Even in the midst of our doomsday clocks, he is an ever-present reality that we can always trust in, that he'll be there for us. Please understand me when I tell you this, that I'm not saying that he will take you out of the storms. Or that he will remove that pain or he'll do anything. He, won't, he promises to be there and to be with us. And I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in that fact. Because I too have my doomsday clocks. That I, sometimes makes me fearful as well. So may God bless you as you think about Emmanuel and how personal he is. And that by knowing him in this way, you'll find rest for your souls. So the invitation is yours. I don't know what's going on in your life, but if there's anything that's going on that you'd like for us to pray about, no judgment on our part. We'll simply pray with you and pray for you that God will be a part of your life and that we might be able to embrace you and, and let you know that you're not alone. We're here with you as God's arms and his feet and his eyes and his ears. Or if you're not a Christian and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that because of your belief, you're willing to make a change in your life, acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you can be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. That's what the Bible says over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. So the invitation is yours as you think about Emmanuel, God with us. While together we stand and sing and give you opportunity. Won't you?